back of the back page, and it just happens to be the difference between law and grace, and the author is unknown. But I think this guy did, does an excellent job of showing the distinction between law and grace. <clears throat> Excuse me. Law demands, grace gives. Law says do, grace says believe. Law exacts, grace bestows. Law says work, grace says rest. Law threatens, pronounces a curse, grace entreats and pronounces a blessing. Law says do and thou shalt live, grace says live and thou shalt do. Law condemns the best man, grace saves the worst man. I mean, that's really true. And uh, see the point where he says do and thou shalt live? Isn't that where a lot of people are? I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. It's what I can do. And what they come to find is God doesn't want your stinking works. He doesn't want them. They're putrid. What he wants is you, and then he'll work through you when you let him. You know, and you got all of these people out here who are walking and they're doing all of these good deeds. Now, you know, hey, I don't know. God's going to sort it out. I hope it's being led by the Spirit. You know, and it's going to all find out at the beam of seat judgment, right? I hope you're being led by the Spirit in what you do. And that's what's really important. That brings us to our message today. We're on uh, part 25. I keep trying to get away from this love series, and God won't let me. <laughs> I want to wrap this thing up. I keep wanting to wrap it up, but God says, nope, no, no we're going to stay right here. So here we go. Love under pressure. Love under pressure. You know, it's really hard to love. I mean, when, when you're under pressure, people become discombobulated. They really do. Uh, Martin Luther King gave this great quote. The ultimate measure of a man's character is not determined in a time of comfort and convenience, but in a time of crises and conflict. This is when you find out who you really are. Put people under pressure. Put them under pressure. And this is what you will really see, who you really see that they are. Right? When I'm not under pressure, oh, it's easy to do things when there's no pressure. But when I'm not under pressure, and when I'm under pressure, how do I conduct myself? I mean, you've probably seen this, right? People at work, nicest people. But when they get under pressure, ah, they can't be bothered. Leave me alone. Right? They lose it. Everything that you thought that they were went out the window. And so uh, this is a, 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 an excellent statement because you see it and you see it in Scripture. You see over in the book of James, these believers that were under persecution by Herod and the Roman government, that they were chased out of Rome and they were living out um, uh, in this um, among themselves. And look at what they were doing. James write them, writes them and look, just turn over here a second so that I won't miss. I don't want to miss out on the uh, all the gory details. And I want you to see what was happening to these people that were believers. That people cannot, there are people who can't handle pressure. That when pressure comes, they abandon everything that they are about. And then all of a sudden, I mean, you, you see people you don't even recognize. Well, this, notice these people here. In verse 1, James writes to me, he says, From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even from your lusts that war in your members? 
Now, what's happening here is that what happens is that when you're not spiritual, when there is pressure, then my sin nature kicks in and I just want things to comfort me. Right. I'm not thinking about trying to help anybody else. I'm not thinking about loving the brethren. That all goes out the window. It's all about survival. That's what these people are doing. Look at what they're doing. You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire and you have and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war and you have not because you ask not. So they say, hey, man, it's about survival. It's every man for himself. And all of a sudden, you know, my concern about you, uh, everybody for themselves. That's what's happening here. They were under pressure because of persecution. They abandoned who they were. They abandoned who they were. And this can happen to believers. And so over in Romans, the 15th chapter, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians, the 5th chapter, you had these Thessalonians who were under similar circumstance. And they were under persecution, and Paul was writing to them, and there were some things that they wanted to know about. And um, he writes this, and he warns them about some things. And so they're waiting on the rapture, and of course, you know some of the stories about the Thessalonians, that they had, uh, some of them had uh, given up uh, their jobs and were mooching off other believers because they were waiting on the rapture to come. Um, some weren't working. Uh, they had questions about what happens to people that when they die, are they going to be caught up in the rapture and all this? So Paul answers this, but notice here, he starts off in chapter uh, 5 and verse 1, and he's telling them that they were aware, what they did, weren't aware of is they weren't aware of the rapture. They didn't know when the rapture was going to occur. And so the rapture is the Lord coming back for his church. The church did not begin until the day of Pentecost, right? So the church would be inclusive of everyone from the day of Pentecost until the time the rapture occurs. And so there were people that were dying and they didn't know, well, what's going to happen to those people who who died before? And so Paul was explaining that to them. So they got that. He told them about that. But the day of the Lord, they had some understanding. They accurately knew about the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is different from the rapture. So after the rapture occurs, a period begins called, called the day of the Lord. And it goes from the rapture through the end of the millennial kingdom. And what's included in that is the tribulation period, the millennial kingdom, the great white throne judgment. I think, I think it even goes past then. And so they, they weren't aware of that. I mean, they were aware of these things. And he says, He tells them about this, and then he gives them some admonitions of how to deal with things while we wait for the Lord's return. And that there is going to be times where you're under pressure. How do you handle it? Notice what he says here in verse 1. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves know that word perfectly is accurately, that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they, now notice, look at the pronouns here. He makes a differentiation between believers and unbelievers. 
Who are the they? The unbelievers. When they shall say peace and safety, sudden destruction shall come upon who? Them. As travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. This is really a good place to show people that the church is not going through the tribulation period. One of the greatest places and easiest places that you can show people that the church will be raptured out before the tribulation period. And as you look at some of these circumstances happening in the world, you make you wonder, are we close? I don't know. Dan's going to answer that for you. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but you notice he says, they shall not escape. Verse four. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. See that? You're not in the darkness. That that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. It just always boggles my mind. These people that believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation period. When there's a clear delineation drawn between the believers and those who are in the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others. But let us watch and be sober, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us, here you have it. Again, I don't know how people can say that believers are going through the tribulation period. The place you're going to see the wrath of God is where? In the tribulation period. And what does he say here? God has not appointed us to wrath. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to take us out of here. And I believe... As you see in 1 Thessalonians 4, saints are going to be taken out of here. The Holy Spirit's going to leave. And then that man of sin, is going to, that man of lawlessness, is going to be brought to the scene. And oh boy, you think that time, these things are bad today? You've seen nothing yet. You have seen nothing yet. And so we won't be here, thank God for that. And so... We want to look at this, this idea of the breastplate of faith and love. And so you have these two parts of the fruit that are really essential in protecting believers as they go through troubled times. And I really believe that what's happening here is that you're not focused on you. You're focused on others. I think, and this is just my own personal opinion with this, the basis and the foundation of a lot of the lunacy, and I do mean lunacy with a capital L, that is going on in this world today, is the amount of people who are so self-centered. They can't get their minds off of themselves, and it's driving them nuts. Believers are focused on others. And as you direct faith and love, you not only edify the saints, 
But we'll see that breastplate is a protection for yourself. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful as believers that we have the opportunity to glorify you no matter what the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Grateful that as believers that you provided everything that we need in this life to glorify you. We are lacking nothing. There's nothing that we're without to be able to accomplish what you desire for us to accomplish while we're in these bodies. And we're so thankful for your provisions. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so we come to this issue of awaiting the return of the Lord. It, it can lull the believer into a lethargy. And in verse 6, he says this, Therefore, let us not sleep as do the others, but let us watch and be sober. Now, this idea of sleeping, what is he talking about? He's just saying that you shouldn't be laying around sleep. Um, I don't know. I like to make, uh, really get under the skin of people who are lazy. And I take them back to the Proverbs. And a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come on you all of a sudden. <laughs> right? Or I think it's in the 26th Proverbs where he says, I went to the house of the sluggard. Right? And his nettles were all overgrown with weeds. And I thought and I pondered. And I came to the conclusion, a little sleep. A little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come on you all of a sudden. It's no mystery as to why people are poor. Many people are poor because they're lazy. But this is not what he's talking about here. This is not what he ta- he's talking about here. He's talking about, this word is interesting, this word for sleep, is not awake to be, not awake or being unable to understand the circumstances that one is involved in. They can't see. There's a lot of, uh, you could be sleep mentally or spiritually and not be able to see spiritually what's going on. <clears throat> so <clears throat> it's used in several ways. In scripture, it's used literally of physical sleep of the Lord when he <clears throat> fell asleep in the boat during the storm in Matthew eight twenty four, And then it's used of death. As being sleep. In Matthew um, uh, 9.24. But then it's also used of people being in a spiritual state of being sleep. Their eyes are open. But they can't see. They can't understand spiritual matters. And so notice in Ephesians chapter 5 at verse 14. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. And Paul says um, to the Ephesian believers, uh, they had some problems here. And let's start uh, at verse 1 and we'll read down just to give you a context that here you have believers that can just, we can fall asleep at the will. And so notice what he says here. Be ye therefore followers of God, dear children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and has given himself an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But notice all of these things that will mitigate against a walking in love. But fornication, fornication is a, um, it would be a, um, if you had a circle and you included all sexual deviancy, 
would be included in fornication. So it would be homosexuality, it would be bestiality, it would be all of these sexual perversions. It's included under the heading of fornication. And all uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. But now you, for this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now people don't want to admit this today. They want you to say that certain behaviors are accepted no matter what scripture says. They want you to deny reality and to say, oh, no, 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 you're right. This is acceptable to God. It would be a lie to say it. It would be a lie to say it. Now, here's what I say to people. You have your freedom. You can do whatever you want to do. That's your thing. Do it. Don't make me. Don't try to make me to do it. And don't try to make me think that there's something okay with it. Because I ain't doing it. And so here you have it. And he says, for this, you know, that no whoremonger or unclean person or covetous man or who's a dollar has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You walk as children of light. And that word light, just as an aside, it means to manifest God's life in activity. Everywhere you see it in the New Testament, when it comes to the spiritual um, um, connection, it's light means that I am walking in such a way that God's life is being seen out and how I'm conducting my life. For the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable to the Lord and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in the secret. But all things that are made manifest are light, and whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, he says, awake thou that sleeps, sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And so these people have just kind of just fallen asleep in the world. They're spiritually asleep. And they're living like ones who are spiritually dead. You know, you can call, it's just amazing to me, in our society, people are living lies. And they're comfortable with it. Okay, if you want to live a lie, okay, do it. You know, there's something that you'll never get rid of. It's the truth. And this is what haunts people because I often thought, hey, if you want to do something and you believe this is okay, why do you have to have me okay it? Why do you have to have me okay it? If you believe it's okay, do it. Why do you have to get me to agree with it? Right? Because the truth is a powerful thing and these people inherently know they are wrong. They know it, and it drives them lunacy to lunacy. 
And believers can get caught up into what the unsaved men are doing. And see, he says this issue of arise out from the dead. God looks down on this earth and with the unsaved, he sees a bunch of people who are spiritually dead to him. And you can live among them like you're one of them. And many of these Ephesian believers were. And he says, you rise out from among these dead ones and wake up. Wake up. You sleep. Wake up to what? The reality of what really is true. And live it. And so that happens. And you can fall into a spiritual stupor. To where you're just mo- going through life and you're just like a, what did I say that when I was working at FedEx, the girl used to say, the zombie apocalypse is coming. The zombie apocalypse is coming. Honey, it's already here. <laughs> it's already here. <laughs> and you have a lot of people and that can be spiritual zombies. And so notice going back to First uh, Thessalonians 5 and verse 6, he says, to wake out from the sleep, and notice he says to be watchful. This word for watchful is actually, it's to be on the alert. You're waiting for a person or a thing, and you're, you're waiting for it, and you're looking. You're, you're on the alert. You know that something could come or something could happen, and you're, 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 you're looking out for it. How many believers are just going through life And they're just unaware. They're just so caught up in what they're doing. They're just not engaged. And there are things that happen, and and really you you become really fodder for for Satan. I mean, I I think a lot of the things that you see here in these illustrations that we've we've given, really you you open yourself up for Satan. You really do. And so notice, we'll go to this... uh, First Peter 5 passage, just to give you an illustration of that. In First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, the believers here are cautioned to be on the alert and to watch. Now, does that mean that I'm just sitting in my house just watching all the time? <laughs> no, it means that as I'm conducting my daily activities, there is something that I'm aware of. And I'm looking at some point that this could happen at various situations. So here you see this word for watch, um, and you find it over in verse 8 of chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Um, and so notice he says in verse uh, pick it up in verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that you might exalt, uh, he might exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him because he cares, um, casting all your cares upon him for he careth for you. And so this word for care is actually is uh, your, the word for that we would translate uh, anxieties. Anxieties. And so, I mean, how, how often is that? So, and I could tell you a lot of the anxieties people are having, that a lot of these anxieties are satanic. Now, I didn't say it. Well, you just saw the word here, right here in Scripture. And so notice, he says... Casting your care, the word care is actually translated care. It's the word for Mary Adzo, Mary uh, Mai, I'm sorry. And it's the word for anxiousness or anxious, anxieties. 
for he cares for you. Now notice in verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And so this word for, uh, we're going to see that word sober here in a second, but the word vigilant uh, is the idea of watching. Being aware. How many times have people been in circumstances where they've been in circumstances where when you look at what they're saying and you look at what scripture says, okay, let's look, use an example, anxiety. I've had people who have told me, or I've heard of people who have talked about anxiousness, but they never attribute it to Satan. Not one single time. They don't think it's satanic. They think it's some issue that they're going through or some circumstance that they've gone through. Never will they say that Satan is the one who is causing it. I was talking to Brother Joe here. I believe, honestly, people are addicted to psychology. I was reading a book, and the book was comparing um, C.S. Lewis uh, to um, oh, the father of psychology. can't remember his name. He escapes me now. Freud. Freud. And this guy maintains that psychology is so interwoven in the American psyche that mo- they, a lot of the terminologies, a lot of the premises, that most people never even see it. Never even think about it. And what does it do? I really believe what it does is it serves to undermine the truth. It serves to undermine the truth. I'll go to my grave saying that. It undermines truth. Well, I'll give you a couple of examples. Psychology says that you're not a drunk. You just have a chemical imbalance. God says you drink a lot and you get drunk, you're a drunk. You're drunk. Oh, no. You just don't understand. My mother, she did this to me. I had this disposition when I was little and she caused this to happen. Psychology says that, uh, well, there's how many different genders now? I can't remember. There's innumerable. The Bible says God made male and female. You can go on and on and on about this, right? I believe it undermines truth, but I digress. And so this idea of anxiety, Satan causes this, and if you're not watchful, and you're not aware, you will not see it for what it is. You will call it something else, which many people do. And I believe that that's why they've not overcome it. They don't see it for what it is. And so this idea of being watchful, to to be alert that Satan has the propensity to attack And that you are aware of this, and as it happens, you're able to measure the attack and say, oh, yeah, yeah, Satan did this. This is satanic. And it makes a difference when you are on the alert of that. And then notice the other thing that he says here in in the sixth verse of 1 Thessalonians 5, be sober. Now, sober, there's two primarily words for sober in the New Testament. One is so for now, we're not going to deal with that, but it has the saving frame of mind. But the other one has the ideal, uh, Nepho, it has the ideal of uh, 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 literally being abstaining from uh, intoxication. Um, uh, and also, there, there's one that has the ideal of, um, of uh, 
a sobriety of mind. Um, uh, and I, did I put that there? It's used in the moral sense of a sobriety of mind, of being c a calm and circumspect. Uh, Abbott and Smith, and I think I mixed my uh, definitions up there, but you get the point there. Uh, to be calm and circumspect, and it's used that way in Scripture. Now notice, let's look at a couple of places where you see this. Um, in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5. Well, now let's look at 1 Peter 1.13, and I, I like that one. It's a great illustration there. 1 Peter 1.13. So Peter is talking to these believers, and again, this is very germane to what we're talking about because these believers are suffering. These believers, the, Neil, uh, Neil, <laughs> thinking about the Matrix, Nero, <laughs> Nero uh, uh, set Rome on fire, and this is a matter of history. And what did he do? He blamed it on the Christians. And so persecution uh, broke out against Christians. And it was so bad, no one wanted to identify as being a Christian. And they went un completely underground. Nero, uh, Nero was taking Christians and capturing them and burning them as torches in his yard. This is a fact. How did these believers handle it? And so Peter writes to them and said, why are you so amazed at the suffering that you're going through? It's going to happen. But he says this in verse 13, which I find very fascinating. He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. And again, as you go through pressure, and, and you go through all kinds of trials and persecutions. It's right up here. Do you have the capacity to handle this? Are you a believer? Yes, you have the capacity. Are you availing yourself to what God's provided? That's the question. And notice what he says here. The loins of your mind. Now, this word loins, it looks at the thoughts that are going through your mind. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, that you just set up and just let your mind go, and before you know it, your mind has, <laughs> your mind has told you so many things that are horrifying, right? And before you know it, you are scared of your own shadow, Right? Do you know this is, this is satanic? It really is. And so Peter looked at this idea of the loins of the mind. And if you look at the mind, there's a process as the thoughts are coming through the mind. And Courtney did a good job in his um, uh, paper this summer on imaginations. Because you have thoughts that go through the mind. And as the thoughts go through the mind, they produce different imaginations and concepts. And you could just sit up and you can think, and before you know it, your mind is just going further and further out there. And next thing you know, you're scared to even leave your own house. And this is satanic. And, and we know this to be true. And this, so he says, gird up the loins of your mind, being sober, having uh, 
a calm and circumspect mindset. Not losing it. Understanding, hey, this is what's going on. I'm under persecution. This is satanic. This is what is happening. This is what God has provided for me in order to be able to overcome this. I understand that I can overcome Satan by putting on the armor, Ephesians chapter 6. But what happens if I'm not watching, if I'm not sober, if I'm asleep spiritually, that's not going to be what comes to my mind when I'm under attack. I'm just going to be blowing in the wind. And you've seen that, you know, I used to like to watch the movie The Poseidon Adventure. I told you, Shelley Winters used to be the one that always got me. Because then when they were trying to get through the water, when the ship was capsized, she just panicked. She just went in for and she put every put everybody else's life in danger. Right. Because she was out of control. You can have situations where you can be in a full scale panic mentally. As a believer. If you're not careful. And so notice, go back to First Thessalonians five here and what he was talking about. And so we want to move down to verse eight. And he says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Now, this word breastplate is used in scripture for it's the part of an armor that a soldier would use that it went from the neck down to the navel. And what did it protect? It protected his ribs. It protected really the vital parts of the body. So it's used that way physically. But Paul is going to say that here you have faith and love are seen as a breath, a uh, uh, proverbial of spiritual breastplate. So you see this breastplate is used literally and figuratively in scripture. And so it's used literally in scripture of uh, the demons that come up out of the abyss and uh, revelation. Not not Romans. It's Revelation 9 and and, uh, Revelation 17. Make that correction there. And then it's used um, spiritually of uh, protecting yourself spiritually. Look at Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and verse 14. The thing that the believer <laughs> wants to protect the most today is right up here. You're in a spiritual warfare. This is the thing that needs protection right here. Notice Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. Stand, therefore, or go back a little bit. Verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against. See the word wiles? It's the methodologies. There's a certain method, a way that Satan will attack you. And so the methods of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we have come to, con- to understand that people are doing things. Do you not, we do not see that Satan can use people to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And we get so involved in the person that's doing it that we don't see that Satan is the one behind the person who is doing it. And so he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this, um, and I think that this age there, against spiritual wickedness, not in high places, but in the heavenlies. So he's talking about various aspects of spirit beings 
because Satan is not omnipresent, he can't be everywhere at once. Did you realize that? Satan cannot be everywhere at once. So very few people will get attacks from Satan. Who you get attacked from are demons. And various demons are all over the place, and they have a methodology by how they attack you. Now Paul is telling you how to overcome it. Wherefore, verse 13, taking you the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand in the evil day. And Satan is not attacking you, or these demons are not attacking all the time, but there's a day when they will attack. And when they do, this is what you, you do. And having all done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins. Where did we just see that word? Is he talking about my physical body? Your loins. Remember Peter said? Gird up the loins of your mind. Right? Having your loins girt with what? Truth. One of the things that you see happening in the world system today that is very fascinating to me is the amount of lying that is going on. Lie, 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 lie after lie, lie on top of lies. And these are being proven to be lies. But you know what truth is? Seeing things the way they really are. Somebody comes up to me and say, oh, I've got an alcohol problem. No, you don't have an alcohol problem. You're drunk. You've got a sin nature problem. That's what you have. You see how the lines are being blurred? There was a guy back in the 90s named Yuri Brezmanov. And he said one of the things that the, the communists tried to do is to so blur the lines of what is real that people will not have an ability to defend themselves or their families against what's true. And you can see that. Very satanic. And what are we arguing about in the American culture today? Things that are absolutely not true, that people believe are. Absolutely not true. Have no basis in fact. We know from science that there is not several different genders, but there's just two. And even you have to use the Bible for that, right? But how many people are arguing for that? And it's absolutely not true. So, loins girt with truth. We evaluate what is real from what scripture says is real. Not according to imagination. Do you realize how many people are living in a fantasy world? They are so their imaginations have so carried them away, they're on the verge of insanity. And so, and having the breastplate, and here's, you see that word breastplate again, and having the breastplate of righteousness. And so this breastplate of righteousness, righteousness is that I am accounting uh, what scripture says to be true, that it's not me that is righteous, but because of the work Christ has done on my behalf, God counts me to be righteous. Isn't that, I, I still can't wrap my mind around that. Do you realize that? Do you know one of the things that Satan tries to get you to do is to say, say I ain't no good? Okay, repeat after me. 
I ain't no good. But look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It's not based upon me being good. It's based upon what God has done and that the son's righteousness is accorded to me because of the fact that I believe the facts of the gospel. Look at what he says here in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he has made him to be sin for us or a quality or a sin offering for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. Where? In Christ. Do you know when you believe the facts of the gospel, Christ died on the cross for our sins and that he was buried and raised, that God moves you from this position in Adam and that you are now in a position in his son, Jesus Christ, and that's how he sees you? Isn't that why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. God is counts you to be righteous not on the basis of what you've done but on the basis of what the son has already done not anything that you've done not anything you can do to earn it the breastplate of righteousness do you realize how many times I've used this scripture under satanic attack it's not based upon what I can do I'm righteous because of what the son has done You realize how much that protects you from the attacks of Satan. And so you have this this uh, this breastplate and notice it says, what does this breastplate consist of? Going back to first Thessalonians five, it consists of faith. Faith is that part of the fruit of the spirit that believes the promises of God in spite of not seeing them with the eye. You believe what God has said, even though you don't see it. Right. And so notice, uh, faith produces, um, is an interesting thing of why faith is important. Look at what it says here in 2 Thessalonians 1.11, that faith produces an, an endurance for the believer. 1 Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, 1.11. And so here we are with um, uh, one of my favorite scriptures, uh, verse 3. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, as is his meat, because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the love of every one of you toward each other abounds so that we ourselves glory in you and all the churches of God for your patience and your faith in all your persecutions and your tribulations. Notice that you endure. And so these believers were able to go through and uh, to put up with the and bear with the circumstances that they were going through. And notice the, the, the nexus of this, the, the, uh, the, uh, the thing that caused them to be able to do this was patience and faith. Now notice in verse, uh, yeah, I think that that was the verse that I wanted to, to uh, focus on. And verse 5, he says, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you 
And to you who, who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony was believed among you in that day and our verse was in four, but I just like reading the rest of it. <laughs> okay. But anyway, back to our issue on love. And so uh, you have the breastplate of faith. And then notice faith produces endurance and it produces a confidence. Notice in the Hebrews chapter six and verse 11. Hebrews chapter six and verse 11. So Paul is talking to these Jewish believers um, who were, again, under persecution and notice the reticence they had to act out who they were. And so notice in verse seven uh, and verse, uh, excuse me, nine. But beloved, we are persuaded of better things uh, of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work. And your labor of love, which you showed toward his name. Now, these believers at a point in time in the past had shown this, but they weren't doing it at this time. In that you ministered and do minister. And we desire every one of you to show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope uh, unto the end. And this idea of full assurance is confidence that a believer can have in the midst of trying circumstances that is based upon hope. <clears throat> you know, it's an interesting thing when you look at somebody like Stephen as he was being stoned. And what does he say? Lord, lay this not to their charge. He had a confidence and a hope of faith that was able to help him see things in the right perspective. I, I often wonder, what would Kevin do in that situation? Yeah. Like when Paul was slapped this morning, as you saw that with, with uh, Courtney, as he read it in Acts 23, what did Paul say? God will, uh, what did he say? God will smite you, you whitewashed wall. I think that might be something that Kevin might say. <laughs> I don't know that I could, you know, you would hope that you could be where Stephen is in the right mindset and say, Lord, lead us not to their charge, <laughs> right? If I'm spiritual, I will be. But notice this confidence, this full assurance that comes from hope that the believer can have in the midst of a circumstance that is pressure-packed. Nobody has what the believer has today to deal with the world and the way it's constructed today other than believers God's provided for us the ability to deal with the circumstances in the world today unlike anyone else. And then the breastplate of faith and love. The word love, again, is self-sacrifice, being other-centered, and in the midst of adversity produces the right mental mindset. It does. Notice Paul 
and his admonition to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 7. Second Timothy chapter one, seven. So he's writing to Timothy and Timothy, what is going on in Timothy at this time? Timothy is, has been sent to Ephesus to tell these law teachers to stop teaching law. And they responded probably by telling Timmy, go home to your mother, little Timmy. We can handle this. And Timothy was distraught. He was distraught. I think that he became ashamed of Paul. He let these people, well, you see it in this chapter here. He says, Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed of me. I think Timothy was. You know, you could talk about someone in such a way that people are ashamed to be around him. That you can do that. And I think this is what happened. And I think another thing happened here. And Paul wrote to him, and Timothy, I think, became carnal. I think he became a spiritual coward. And notice what Paul says to him in verse 6. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. See that word fear is actually the word for timidity or for cowardice. It's to be a spiritual coward. And what's the old saying when I was growing up? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And sometimes when the going gets tough today, the tough runs the other direction. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, for believers, there's a lot of believers. When the going gets tough, we don't have, because we're not relying upon what God provided, we don't have the spiritual acumen to be able to deal with tough situations. Not because we're not capable, because every single believer is capable. Are we asleep? Are we watching? Are we sober-minded enough to see what's happening and how to deal with it? He says, God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but a power and of love, and here's our other uh, uh, sober word, of a saving frame of mind. And so the opportunity to be able to direct agape love in this situation, and then he, it's interesting, this thing of power, he goes into the second chapter and he tells you how the believer is able to access that power. There is, we have all kinds of spiritual power available to us, but we won't access it. How does he tell them how to access that power? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Be empowered by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That grace has the ability to empower a believer to accomplish what God desires for you and I to live in this life. And it's from grace that we're able to access agape love. That we're able to direct faith. It doesn't matter what the situation is. There have been believers who have gone through tough situations and they've been able to still direct love, direct faith in the midst of the saints. 
I think about the believers. I told you I gave someone uh, my copy of the Mortar, Fox's Book of Mortars. A lady wanted to read it. She didn't make it through. She got through the halfway and said, I can't take it anymore. It's too much. This is more than I can handle. A lot of believers, we do not avail ourselves to the provision God has given of how to handle ourselves when the times get tough as we wait for the return of the Lord. Two of the things Paul is saying here that protects the believer is manifesting love and faith. You know what I think it does? It stops you from focusing on your own things. What did he say about Timothy in Philippians 3, 28, uh, 2, I have no man like Timothy, for all others are concerned about their own things and not the things of Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him that as a father with a son, he has served me. You mean to tell me all those people that Paul had following him and he's Timothy's the only one that he could say that about? All others are concerned about their own. Do you know when, when you're in, under pressure, the temptation is to just think about you. As I'm spiritual, I'll be able to use faith and love in the midst of that toward the believers and I believe it makes a huge difference in how I see the circumstances that I'm going through. A huge difference. The world does not have the ability to do that. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful as believers that we have this ability to be able to direct the fruit of the Spirit even in the midst of trying times, even when we're under pressure and under attack. That is what makes the church unique. We have the ability to be able to live out the life of your son in this uh, fragile body of clay as a result of us being able to allow the spirit to do his work and to produce that life in us and it is able to drive us through all of the circumstances that we will face in this life, be it bad or good, and in the end, you're glorified as a result of it. And we're so thankful for that potential. In your son's name we pray. Amen.